Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's sports station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannotto and Jeffrey Show. We're coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright929 ESPN. Mark is out today on kid duty, so we'll talk to him again on Monday. Dennis Fuller's producing the program for us. Glad that he is with me today. Let's say what we got coming up on the program today. It is, of course, Friday, so we'll go with the standard. What are we going to be talking about when we come back on Monday? Let's take a look at the weekend. We'll also take a look back last night from the outstanding basketball that was played and some that was not so much played last night. We'll also take a look at tonight's games. We'll discuss the Grizzlies and more as we preview the weekend. DeMichael Cole's going to join us here next segment. Blake Topmeyer also out today. So DeMichael's going to join us, and we'll get into the Grizzlies. We'll get his thoughts on the developing situation with the Grizzlies and John Morant. Will he return to the starting lineup tonight? We'll discuss all that and more with DeMichael. Grizzlies and Rockets tonight, 6.30 for pregame. Tip-off will be at 7 p.m. You can hear it. Right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. The Grizzlies will also play at Atlanta on Sunday. Quick road trip before they return home next week. I believe they will be, I think it's a Sunday-Monday situation. Nope, beg your pardon. Sunday-Tuesday, and then the back-to-back is in the middle of the week. Tuesday-Wednesday. So the Grizzlies will have Atlanta on Sunday, Orlando on Tuesday, Clippers on Wednesday and Friday. So we'll get his thoughts on the upcoming schedule, where the Grizzlies are in the pecking order, and more. 3 o'clock, we'll get into the list, and then we'll get back into the NCAA tournament with Matt Umans when he'll join us. We've had Matt on, I believe we had him on right before conference tournament. Really enjoyed talking with Matt. We'll get his thoughts on tonight as well as the Elite Eight matchups that we already know about. So, let's get into what we'll be talking about on Monday. And I wanted to start with the Kansas State-Michigan State game from last night because I was racking my brain. And oftentimes we can be prisoners of the moment. You know, recency bias kicks in. I personally found that game to be one of the best college basketball games that I can watch since the one-and-done era. 
and I'm not someone that bemoans the one-and-done era, whatnot. I just think it's a clear point in which the sport changed. Roster makeups changed, and the nature of building a roster changed. So I kind of view that as a, a point in time where you can see the sport clearly start to resemble something else. And that game was just an absolute delight to watch because you had elite shot making on both ends of the floor, and it wasn't as if neither team was playing defense. I felt like both teams were just maxing out, and I thought it was very fitting that the first game of the tournament to go to overtime was indeed that game. And then, of course, the biggest story of the night has been the play of Marquise Noel. And, again, this could be somewhat prisoner of the moment. I'm having a tough time remembering a player that is more fun to watch, that is just having and kind of taking over the tournament as Noel is. Because you just cannot take your eyes off of him when he's on the floor. And that's kind of the other thing about it that is just so somewhat fascinating and you marvel at him. He doesn't come off the floor. He played every minute against Kentucky on Sunday, and he played 43 of 45 minutes last night, and the only reason that he came out of the game is because he banged up his ankle. Then he had to go get retaped, and then he was back in there after a short two-minute spell. But there's just something about watching a player like Noel where you can't take your eyes off of him. But more importantly, this is kind of what the tournament is all about. Guy from Queens, never played in Madison Square Garden, has his opportunity last night, and he absolutely delivered. 20 points, 19 assists. And it's... 19 assists doesn't quite tell the story because every single time he has an assist, you feel like it's a behind-the-back pass. It's a a lob that, you know, is high risk. It's just unbelievable decision-making, his court vision. I'm sure Jerome Tang wasn't super thrilled with the final possession of the first half when – he gets a steal, and he's on a fast break, and he's making a no-look pass rather than, as the clock's winding down, rather than probably just going up trying to draw a foul, he still makes an unbelievable pass. And the other thing that is just truly remarkable about it, two turnovers. This guy has the ball in his hands, what feels like 65 70% of a possession of his possessions. I mean, it's just truly remarkable what he does. Last night produced 31.3 points, and his usage rate was 41.3%. I mean, it's just truly unbelievable playing 95.6% of the minutes last night. So far to me, he feels like the biggest story of the tournament because He is just a fascinating player to watch, and he is electric.
I mean, everything feels high energy. Everything just, it's the other thing is, considering it feels like how risky some of the plays that he makes, he's just incredibly, he's incredibly careful with the basketball. Only two turnovers last night. It was awesome. Kansas State shoots 56% from the floor. What was amazing to me was it basically shot 56% from the floor and only 69% from the free throw line. It felt like the only things that they were doing wrong were missing their free throws. Only five turnovers on the night in its entirety. I just found back and forth the shot making, the quality of basketball, that was just, again, I was trying to think of other great games, and we've had great games. So even last night, we closed the night with a great game. It just felt like this game was in a completely different category. And I do wonder if maybe the fact that it was the first game of the night and the dramatic ending from the UConn-Gonzaga game, it felt like it almost took away from the hyperbole of what a great game it was, and it was truly just truly awesome. Now let's turn our attention to Arkansas and UConn. I'm in the camp. If you're an Arkansas fan, this is exactly how I want to go out. Knock me out. Leave no doubt. Yes, it makes for an uninspired watch when you're just watching your team and you know that there's no way of coming back. But I personally, if I'm going to get knocked out of the tournament, this is how I want it to go. I I am just someone, like we'll talk about it with FAU and with Tennessee. I don't enjoy thinking about the what if. If this play goes different, if that play goes different, then you bring into, well, what, what if we got this call or we didn't get that call? When you start bringing all of those question marks in a close loss that just eats at me at a different way rather than I got knocked out the better team won there's no doubt what happened last night what I find a little bit more interesting though about Arkansas is where does Arkansas go from here because Arkansas particularly in basketball and and to a certain degree in football, they're going to be one of the schools that greatly benefits from NIL and from the rules changing because now it is opened up. It's opened up access to players that they probably haven't had before. They've had great players in both sports, but now it's, they are very much a part of the recruiting conversation. I'm fascinated, though, because... And maybe he would give you a different answer. I am I am admittedly watching from afar. Eric Musselman is clearly a passionate coach, but I never got the sense that he really enjoyed coaching this team. And it's a very different team than it was last year. And the biggest question that I have 
is he going to build the team the same way? It hasn't always been true, but by and large, Musselman's best teams are typically older teams. It's oftentimes players that have been somewhere else, and he is able to coach them up. It's kind of not last chance you, but it's guys that have been places, and it's the time is now, if you will. Well, this year's team was constructed differently. You have two McDonald's All-Americans. It was a younger team. I just did not get the sense that he enjoyed coaching this team. I'm curious to see if his experience from this year changes the way that he makes up a team. Because I just did not sense that he greatly enjoyed coaching this team. I don't think he thought this team was particularly mentally tough. And that's just not that's not what his teams are. His teams are always usually very, very mentally tough. And I think it also brings up a different question. And it's more of a, a general question, not particularly to Arkansas. I'm very fascinated by if the NBA and the NBA Players Association can actually do away with the one-and-done rule this year. They're going to have to come to a collective bargaining agreement but will it be in time for this for this upcoming season? That seems unlikely. They've already delayed finishing the agreement or you know coming to the table negotiating the agreement. And there's the possibility that it even leaks into next season, players could get locked out. So I don't think it's going to be something that changes. However, I am greatly in favor of getting rid of the one-and-done rule. And the biggest reason that I'm greatly in favor of it, number one, I think kind of philosophically, morally, I'm not really cool with it. Only from the sense of, if you want to go be a pro basketball player, and you're of age, I think you should be able to go be a pro basketball player. But the biggest reason that I'm in favor of it, I think it's better for college basketball. I also think it's better for the players. Not everybody wants to play college sports. I understand that. If you want to go be a pro player, go be a pro player. And I also acknowledge maybe there's going to be some guys that make bad choices and they shouldn't have gone and played pro. That's not for me to decide. That's for them to decide. Like they can they they can make their own decisions and deal with the consequences. But I think college basketball will be a significantly better product if we can get to the point where everyone that is playing college basketball wants to be playing college basketball. Because that has been a a theme that has kind of struck me during this tournament, particularly with the teams that are having success. Look at that K-State team. All of those guys want to play college basketball. 
They have a couple of guys that could be first-round picks, but they don't have one-and-done lottery-type guys. Look at Gonzaga. The funny thing to me about this Gonzaga team is when you start to look at the bracket, this Gonzaga team can win a national championship, and this was kind of the team that most even around the program, if you would say, like, you know, if you go back and look at the last five years, this is the team that could win the national title, I think most even around the program would be surprised. But you look at those guys, and obviously it starts with Timmy. I mean, Timmy is four-year guy. Wants to be playing college basketball. UCLA was in the same position. Tiger Campbell, Jaime Jaquez. Veteran guys that want to play college basketball. Michigan State falls in the same category. Of the games that I felt like were the two best watches last night with Michigan State and Kansas State and Gonzaga and UCLA, those teams were all built very similarly. They got older guys that are maybe not the best top-end talent in terms of potential and of, of a draft prospect. But they got good players, and they got players that want to be there. So now that brings us to Tennessee. So with Tennessee and FAU, it was somewhat of a strange watch in the sense that Tennessee largely felt like they dominated the first half, but I think even Tennessee fans would admit when they saw the halftime score and they were only up five, I think there was some concern because I don't feel like that the first half score reflected how much Tennessee dominated. Then in the second half, you get outscored, you give up 40 points, and he outscored 40 to 28. Lo and behold, you're going back home. Which, of course, brings the Rick Barnes dilemma. It is undeniable that he is a very good coach. It is also undeniable at this point he doesn't have the tournament thing figured out. And that, I think, is the real dilemma. Because what do you do? On the one hand, he has done nothing to to embarrass you. But it feels like you've hit a clear ceiling. And then the biggest problem with it are his results... Uh, are, Are his results unacceptable? Well, no. But you do have to factor this. He's the fourth highest paid coach in the country. Cal Perry... Self, Izzo, Rick Barnes. Do you feel like when you're paying for that, when you're paying in that category, do you feel like he is in that same tier? I don't. The problem is, though, you can do a lot worse. I think the better solution, though, you've got to, maybe at this point, this is, this is the gut check time for guys like Rick Barnes, guys like Tony Bennett, 
I even think Cal to a certain extent. I don't think these guys are bad coaches. I do think, though, they're at a crisis point where their their philosophy on offense, it doesn't work anymore. You can't score 27 and 28 points in each half and make it beyond a Sweet 16. Look at the winning scores last night. 98 points in overtime. But it went to regulation at 82. 79 points with Gonzaga. And then UConn puts up 88. This is going to be the problem each and every year. At a certain point, you got to do something about the offense. Because you, I, I think you've reached the point now where there's plenty of evidence to suggest it doesn't work that way. And the thing that I actually find the most fascinating, when you compare it to like Tony Bennett with Virginia, in the end, he's got the national title. When you're paying five plus million dollars at a certain point, don't you maybe owe it to the university, to the to your employer, to say, hey, we gotta we gotta shake things up. Yet again, I mean, I assume Rick Barnes wants to win. He seems like a highly competitive guy. At a certain point, maybe it's time to look in the mirror. And then we have tonight's games. And we'll preview those with Matt Yamans when he joins us a little bit later. He'll join us during hour number two. But the thing that I find most interesting tonight, we're going to see some styles clashes. Miami and Houston. Miami's going to want to get up and go. Houston obviously wants to use the entire shot clock. Could they be in a situation where their offensive philosophy bites them? Same thing with San Diego State tonight. San Diego State, if you, if you switch the jerseys and maybe the admission standards, they look like Virginia. And they're going to be going up against Alabama. So we'll preview those with Matt Yamans when he joins us during hour number two. You also have Creighton and Princeton tonight, also another Styles clash. I'm a little bit more forgiving for Princeton's style of basketball play because you're limited by the talent that you have. Like, I kind of get it. I don't necessarily get it with places like Tennessee where you have access to all all the players you want. So let's turn our attention to the Grizzlies. DeMichael's going to join us during the next segment. We'll get into some of these questions with him. But I think the first question for tonight, and not that it particularly matters in the big picture or where this team is going as a playoff team, but I'm curious to know, does John Morant return to the starting lineup tonight? 
I understand why they're doing it. And honestly, of all the of all the critiques, this is just not one that I, I'm up in arms about. Ja not starting. Because Ja was on the floor in crunch time to decide the game. But let's also be real. When the Grizzlies tip it off in the playoffs, John Morant's going to be starting. And if you're going to start to use these final 10 games or maybe some of these final 10 games as dress rehearsals, trying to get your rhythm back and get ready for the playoffs, well, I think you want John Morant back in the starting lineup. So we'll discuss that with DeMichael. I think the other question is, when we come back on Monday, will the Grizzlies be on a six-game winning streak? Yet again, a double-digit favorite tonight. Likely to be a road favorite on Sunday when they go to Atlanta. And then I think the other question and the likelihood of us getting an answer is probably slim. But are we going to start to see... Are we going to start to see clarity in the Western Conference standings? I think considering the jumbled mess, I think it depends on how do you define clarity. Because on the one hand, there actually is some clarity. With 10 games remaining, it seems all but assured that Denver, despite not playing well recently, they're going to be the number one seed. The Grizzlies, particularly given the remaining schedule, are starting to establish themselves as the number two seed. They now have a two-game lead on the Kings, and they have the opportunity to go on a big run to close out the season and to really solidify it. The Kings are clearly entrenched in third. Neither the Grizzlies nor the Kings, whoever winds up being third, it's likely that That's where it stops. Then the question is, where does it go from here? I doubt we get clarity this weekend, but one thing that kind of struck me when you look at the standings today, I think if you looked at the standings right now and looked at the playoff picture, I think that's kind of what the NBA would like to lock in. Denver at the one playing the winner of they will be so right now they have the Lakers and Pelicans playing in the 9-10 game and they would play the loser of the Dallas Minnesota series that would be played in Minnesota. So Minnesota's at the 7, Mavs at the 8. Whoever wins that, that's who the Grizzlies will play. The loser of that would then play the winner of the Pelicans and Lakers. And I think that would be fun because those are, you can clearly sell those play-in games. And then I think you wind up getting intriguing series for the one and the two, which is something you can't really ask. The 3-4, Sacramento-Golden State. Battle for Northern California. The 4-5, Phoenix and the Clippers, you would prefer, I think, Paul George to be healthy. But I that's definitely one that I think you could sign me up for. 
But then really, I think the biggest question is, and I think the most significant question for the Grizzlies as it pertains to them as a playoff team this year, is this Jaron Jackson taking a leap or is this a Jaron Jackson hot streak? I'm inclined to believe with my eyes that this is Jaron Jackson taking a leap because a lot of what he's doing is basically kind of answering some of the strongest criticism of him. I understand the people that were frustrated with Jaron. I wasn't particularly frustrated with him, but I never said, like, I don't get it. I understood the frustration. You see what a physical specimen he is, and you'd like to see him take over on the offensive end. And it doesn't feel like he's really done that up until he was asked to do so, and he's not letting up. Let's talk Grizzlies with DeMichael Cole. He's a commercial appeals beat writer for the Grizzlies. He'll join us next. We'll also get in back into college basketball during hour number two. Stick around. You'll see Giannotto and Jeffrey. 92- you could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. NFM ESPN. Giannato and Jeffrey broadcast live from the Red River Toyota Studios. Check out Red River Toyota in Wynn, Arkansas. This hour of G&J is brought to you by the Next Generation 10G Network. Only from Xfinity. The Giannato and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. Take your shot during BetMGM's March matchups and instantly receive $200 in bonus bets. Simply sign up using bonus code right 200 my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T-2-0-0, and place a $10 bet on any college basketball game in the tournament. Maybe you like Alabama minus 7.5 tonight. Maybe you like the over, over 137.5 tonight. Maybe you want to take the points with Miami. You're getting 7.5 against Houston. Maybe you want to ride the Princeton train and take the 9.5 points. Or maybe you're feeling really, really frisky. You want to take Princeton plus 400. You can find all those lines right now over on the BetMGM app and BetMGM.com. And if you sign up today, win or lose, $200 in bonus bets will be added to your account right away. Plus, you'll discover a wide variety of parlay selection features, daily boosted odds specials, and much more. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Tennessee only. 
New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire seven days from issuance. For problem gambling support, call the Tennessee Red Line. 1-800-889-9789. DeMichael Cole is the uh, Commercial Appeals Memphis Grizzlies beat writer. You can follow him on Twitter at DeMichael C. DeMichael, let's get to the Grizzlies. I know maybe you're not a, a massive Tennessee basketball fan, but you did go to school there. What would you do yeah, about the Rick yeah. Barnes dilemma? Where he's uh, clearly a very good coach, right? but yet again, right. you just it feels like Groundhog Day. Feels like Groundhog Day, right? <laughs> that's, that's the perfect way to put it, Jeffrey. I mean... We we've come to to realize this is this is who Rick Barnes is, and you know you mentioned I went to Tennessee uh, when he first got there in the earlier years. You know, as as he started to turn the program around, everyone was just satisfied. Yeah, you know, we were, when I first got there, Tennessee was going fifteen and fifteen. You know, sixteen and sixteen. Uh, the Kentucky game was the only game that would fill up Thompson yeah. Bowling Arena, and then. We were projected to go 13th in the SEC uh, my junior year, I believe, of 2014. I mean, not 2014, 2017, 2018. And then um, they win the SEC in the regular season. Yeah. So ever since that Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield team, you know, set this standard, Rick Barnes has been held to a higher pedestal, and he he isn't elevating from here. Basically, he got the program out of the mud, but – now that the program is out of the mud and they're going to the NCAA tournament and they're getting, you know, a two seed, a four seed, a three seed, et cetera, he's not doing nothing with it. I think four of the five tournament losses are to a nine seed, two 11s, a 12. Yeah. And it's, it's unacceptable because it was kind of the one thing. When Rick Barnes came here, everyone was saying, oh, well, you know, he's only been to one Final Four. And, and it's kind of become more than just, you know, this, this thing that's said about him, there's some realness to it. I've, I've said, you know, there, there are certain types of coaches where their playing style, and in his, in his case, the offensive playing style is just is the way they play on offense. It's similar with Virginia, yep. but it's not the exact same thing. When you play that slow uh, style of offense where it's so inside out, uh, you're susceptible on any given day to get beat by an opponent who has a good night. No, I mean, to me, the thing that was – interesting about last night was it was very similar to the Lafayette script where you felt like the Vols were kind of dominating, yet they weren't pulling away. And then in the Mm -hmm. second half, I mean, you know, they FAU puts up 40 in the second half and and Tennessee couldn't keep up. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I look at, you know, the winning scores last night. Every winning team, with the exception of UCLA and then FAU, but FAU puts up forty in the second half. Every team basically got to eighty, and, and yeah. that's just that's just not Tennessee basketball. All right, let's turn our attention to the Grizzlies. It's it's this interesting roller coaster where what do you? I'll, I'll ask it this way: What do you make your first year on the beat? Because I feel like you got a little something of everything. Yeah. So. So you know, last season I came early in the season, right? So I didn't, I didn't get the, the full. You know, I came right after the John Morant injury yeah. against the Atlanta Hawks, and and when I got there, it was all paradise, right? They they go on, you know, Jod yep. gets back, they go on a, a you know franchise record winning streak while Dylan Brooks is out, all these guys in health and safety protocols, and they're winning, and they have this historic season. It was just paradise. It was it was paradise, and then this season comes. 
this is the first time I've seen the Grizzlies face so much adversity on this beat. And, you know, they say adversity reveals character, and we're, we're learning a lot of things. You know, I don't, I don't think – we knew in Memphis that Dylan Brooks was, was a villain, and, and other people didn't like him, but now they really don't like him. And, and then, you know, there's everything centered around John Morant. And then there's everything, you know, just centered around how this team has handled losing, how this team has handled winning. Uh, it's a lot going on, but, uh, my, I mean, first full season on the beat, man, I, I'm enjoying it. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a very, very uh, outgoing team in a way. So it's a, it's a lot of stories there. And as, as the fans have been able to see, it's so much going on with this team. And what makes this team stand out to me is you can easily see why so many different players are important, whereas in basketball, usually there's a two-, three-player hierarchy, and then there's the rest of the team. But with this Grizzlies team, I mean, people are, are like, asking me every single day, when does Steven Adams come back? And you can make an argument that Steven Adams is your, what, fourth? most valuable starter, third, depending on who you may ask, he may be second. So it's just that shows kind of what makes this team stand out in a different way. Yeah. Mark and I didn't really talk about it, so I I think you were in the room. What did you make of Dylan's comment? He said it, I want to say maybe Tuesday. It was kind of in passing. Jeff and I talked Uh about it a little bit, but Mark and I didn't really, there's so much else going on, I feel like we just kind of blew past it. What did you make of the comment by Dylan when he was talking about Kyrie and you know, he uh-huh. clearly, he clearly admires Kyrie's game. Like, I, I think that's, that's more than obvious, but did you make anything of the comment? You know, that's what mid range God, that's what, you know, that's what I want to be when, when I can start taking more, you know, when I get where I can start taking more shots, what'd you make of that? I, I, I took from that. He simply meant when he makes more shots. Um, and, and he, that's how he said it. Uh, that's, that's kind of what I gathered from it. Uh, because Dylan Brooks has taken a lot of shots. You know, if you go back to his rookie year with Conley and those guys are going down, he he had the ultimate green light. And then Taylor Jenkins comes in with everyone has the ultimate green light under Taylor Jenkins. And it got to the point where we started asking the question, when is Dylan Brooks going to take less shots? Uh, last season, you know, there was Desmond Bain breaking out. There was Jaron Jackson Jr. and Ja. And it was like, okay, Dylan is still taking more shots than some of those guys. But this season, you're starting to see the shift for the first time where even though, you know, we get caught up in the games where he's 4 of 17 and, and 5 of 18 and whatnot, but there have been more games this season where he's, he's taking a backseat to Dez, Jaron, Ja, and, and, you know, letting those guys take most of the shots. So I think what I gather from it is he knows this stretch where you go back to mid-January – up until the end of February, and you can kind of put early March into it before he got this recent hot stretch. It was the worst stretch of offense he's ever played. That's saying something because people in Memphis have been critical of his offense for a while now, and this was the worst stretch uh, that he's had. So I think it's it's just him saying he, when he makes more shots. That's what I gathered from him. Yeah, because I'm in the same boat. I kind of think – I think, like, to me, I took it as – He's clearly been bumped down the pecking order in terms of yep. number of shots. Right. I didn't really make anything more of it. I kind of, I'm kind of like you. It's like, okay, if he starts to make more, clearly he's going to be allowed to take more. And, and that's mm-hmm. kind of, I didn't necessarily view it as 
some foreboding of this is his last year here. It may very well end up being his last year in Memphis, but I don't I didn't take it I didn't take it like that. No, me either. Yeah, me either. Uh I I I've never gathered from Dylan Brooks that he is unsatisfied with his role. I mean, if you look at the one of the the first times you can see when a player is not satisfied with their role is their defensive effort. That's one of the first things. You know, they they don't do the dirty work. They don't want to do those things. They're saying no one's going to do it for me. But you don't see that from him. I mean, he every every possession. I, I don't see Dylan Brooks take possessions off, and you know that to me shows his commitment. You know, through that you don't see him pouting on offense. You see him call for the ball sometimes, and he doesn't get it. So in that case, you know, they're you watch him immediately after that play. That is when some players show it on their face, or they run back slow to the other end. But I haven't got that from them. Talking with Michael Cole of the Commercial Appeal over at commercialappeal.com. He's got a piece up about Jaron Jackson and his offensive surge. This is kind of the key question that I have to Michael. Do you feel like this has been clearly his offensive play? Like he's just been an animal recently. Do you think with the return of Ja, do you think it's still going to be more of the same, or do you think it will go back to, you know, maybe a good night for Jaron is, you know, 20-plus? How do you kind of see it shaping out as we're going to see more of them together? Jeffrey, it has to be more of the same. I I, I think this is is what it has to be. You know, uh, Ja is is one thing about Ja is he has a high IQ. Just like we've been watching the Grizzlies uh, over the past couple weeks and Jaron has turned into this monster of a player, Ja's been doing the same exact thing. And part of Ja's thinking, as he said, into coming off the bench and, you know, that whole thing was he saw how the team would be playing well. He saw how Jaron Jackson Jr. had been playing well. And his first game back, Jaron goes for 37, and he scored. I mean, he only hit one three-pointer. It's not like yeah. the Milwaukee game where he scored his career high and he hit nine three-pointers. This was complete dominance. So, uh, with that being said, I think Ja realizes it. I think his team realizes it. Uh, you mentioned uh, the piece that I wrote, and even in that piece, I kind of went back to the point that if you look at the Grizzlies, Jaron Jackson Jr. has always been the key. We were writing that last year. People were writing that the year before that, but he, I mean, it's so obvious. If you look at just isolation scoring, right? We talk about the Grizzlies how they struggle, you know, in half court, half court offense. Uh, John Morant uh, is in the lower third percentile in the NBA in isolation scoring. Desmond Bain is in the lower third percentile in isolation scoring. Uh, the same thing is for uh, Dylan Brooks, lower third percentile. None of these guys are are above, you know, forty percent among NBA isolation score, according to NBA.com uh, stats. Jaron Jackson Jr. is in the 85th percentile. He stands out above the pack by a lot Yes, in that area. So it's now the team realizing that he's the guy. Now it's just the simple things, right? You got to stay on the court. You got to keep demanding the ball. And if he does those things and the Grizzlies take care of him, I think Ja has a high enough IQ where he's understanding enough. He's shown, you know, he's not an egotistic guy by coming off the bench for the first time I mean, I don't think he came off the bench in college either. So this is the first time he came off the bench in a while. Uh, I think I think it can work out from that perspective. Yeah, because it's not like Jaws obviously a ball dominant, but he's a ball dominant guy. But he's the point guard. It's not like yeah. he's Russell Westbrook. Like you know what I mean? Like Jaws <laughs> yeah. capable of seeing the floor. Like Jaws fine with a night where it's like you know kind of the stat line was kind of similar to what it was against the Rockets on Wednesday, where it's like. 
17 points, you know, nine assists. It was obviously limited minutes. But I don't I don't sense like Ja's gonna have a problem, you know, let Jaron get some shots up. Yeah, if you if you go back and look at Ja last season, the the most improved year, the super breakout year, uh he only scored like at a supreme high level early in the game when certain guys didn't play, when, when yeah. Jaron wasn't playing or when when Dez was out or when when Dylan was out or when you know, he he has that, that point guard cerebralness to him where he likes to get guys involved. This is the best playmaking season he's had. If he likes to get other guys involved, he is more ball dominant as you know we've seen, you know, over the last couple of years when the Grizzlies are playing without him as opposed to with him. The ball moves much more when Ja is out of the lineup, but he still, you know, likes to get his teammates involved. It just looks a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something that, you know, I think can work overall. Uh, I think Jaron will still get his touches. Ja will get his, too. And, I mean, it makes for a potent one-two combo at the end of the day. When do you think we'll see Ja return to the starting lineup? I think it'll be one of the, the next couple games. If, it, if it's not today, uh, it'll be uh, in Atlanta for sure. So what basically Taylor Jenkins said, you know, it's something that they're considering over a couple games. So it's it's a possibility today. And if he comes off the bench today, I'm almost certain he'll he'll be back in the lineup against Atlanta. Do you think it was something we saw last year? We haven't quite seen it as much this year, and maybe it's from an effectiveness or not. Do you think we're going to start to see more of Tyus and Ja on the floor together? I don't think so. Uh, it it works. When you're playing teams, let's say, uh, last season there were a couple times they did it. And it's only against those teams that have multiple guys who are who are pesk on the ball. So yeah. Patrick yeah. Beverly last year in the playoffs. Uh, you want to get Ja. I mean, he's already playing extra minutes in the postseason anyway instead of the 32 he's playing per game in the regular season. So Patrick Beverly, the way he pounds you on, on the ball, he's making you expend you know, extra energy. So, yeah, let's bring Tyus Jones into the game. And here, Tyus, you bring the ball up the court while Ja can get a little bit rest as he gets back across the court. It's those little things like with with energy, you know, preservation and stuff like that. But in terms of just lineups, no. I think what they're liking right now is putting Luke Kennard and Desmond Bain on the floor together, and that's giving them, you know, something we haven't seen the Grizzlies have. What have you made of Luke's play recently? He's, he's, he's finding his way. He's, he's finding his way. He's figuring it out. And when I say he's figuring it out, it's he came from the Clippers. I don't think a lot of people have pointed this out. The Clippers are old. Yes. Like, the Clippers, I was listening to Ty Lue actually talk, I think it was yesterday or earlier today, and he basically was saying, look, we, we're one of the older teams. We play slow. We, they got Kawhi Leonard, you know, holding the ball in the half court to 10 seconds on the shot clock. And it's 10 seconds on the shot clock while the Grizzlies got the ball, um, it's it's much more common for the Grizzlies to already have their shot up. Like the Grizzlies play super fast. They play free-flowing. It's completely different from the Clippers' style of basketball. There was an adjustment that has to be made there because now he's taking all these trends. You see he takes a lot of transition, transition three-pointers. He's taking, you know, a lot of shots, just one dribble into one dribble into his shot. And he's, he's ball handling more than he was with the Clippers, so it's a different situation, but he's getting comfortable. And you know, no one, no one has any problems with Luke Kennard shooting three pointers, no matter how it looks, you know, or how many defenders are around. No one has a problem with that here in Memphis. They want him to shoot as much as possible, 
and uh, he he's got the message. <laughs> no, I mean to me, I think that's kind of eye test. That's what it's. It feels like he's just being more aggressive. Yeah. I also feel like the other thing we we saw this. I don't know. I don't know how frequently we'll see it, but this team shoot, struggles from the free throw line. Like they have, mm-hmm. they've done it all year. I did note that you know late in the fourth quarter when it was going to come fouling time, like they had to get him on the floor because he's one of the guys you can trust at the free throw line. Like I do feel right. like that could yeah. be something that makes a difference in a playoff game. It's the little things. It's the it's the smallest of things. Think all the way back to that game against the Celtics earlier this season, yeah. right? If you if when the Grizzlies were at home against Boston and and I think Ja missed a couple free throws down the stretch, uh, you have Luke in the game for for stretches like that, or the the game against the Lakers in L.A. The Shannon Sharp instance in this game, but down in that game, I mean Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark were missing some free throws, and then the guards missed some free throws yeah. as well. You got a guy like Luke Kennard. Uh, He's going to ice the game. I mean, we're talking about a guy who, for his career, is over 87, uh, close to 88% from the free throw line. And this season, he's at 94%, like 93.8% uh, with the Grizzlies. He, he doesn't he doesn't miss. So uh, th- that is a luxury that, you know, this team hasn't had outside of Desmond Bang. Come playoff time, do you think has X – the thing about Xavier that – that fascinates. It's undeniable. He's playing really well right now. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten to the point where you feel like you would trust him in a playoff game? Only off the bench. Only in spurts. Yeah. And yeah. and it's matchup based too. If you're playing a team, let's say the Clippers, you're playing a team that likes to play small and and all that. Um, or even the Warriors think, to a certain degree. Yeah. Even even the Warriors to a certain yeah. extent. You you don't have to have him. On the floor as much. You you can you, those are the type of teams you can put Santi at the five. You can play Jaron at the five a little bit more and put David Roddy at the four and get those lineups cooking a little bit. Uh, and this is with Stephen Adams, you know, back healthy, of course. But if he's your starting center in the postseason, uh, I don't I don't think that bodes well. Uh, the Grizzlies haven't rebounded well against some bad rebounding teams in certain games. You know. The- okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 